Yesterday, I had an amazing experience. My oldest son and I had stopped by Publix to just run in and get a few things. And on our way out, we looked to our left and there was a table there with two precious little girls manning it and their mothers. And I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And my son felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And we made our way over to that table and there were Thin Mints there. (laughs) And you guys, I I haven't had Thin Mints in like years. I I don't know, just like, I I don't know, just busyness and like life. And there they were. And there was some other stuff there and some new flavors like s'mores and stuff. I'm not interested in those. And, and, and they're telling me about these wonderful cookies. And, um, and I, again, just full of the Holy Spirit, I said, and I, I went, I'm just going to tell you, I went a little overboard. I got a little caught up in my enthusiasm. And I said, I'll take four boxes of the Thin Mints. And this little girl goes, Wow! And in that moment, it hit me like she thinks I am a glutton or son. I don't know. Like she like literally couldn't contain herself. Wow. And and she was so excited. And I'm like, hey, that ain't nothing. I'll be back tomorrow if you're still here because I eat Thin Mints by the package. Right. I got home. I look at the box. You know what serving size on those Thin Mints is four cookies. (laughs) That is a joke. (laughs) I need a serving size that's like four boxes, okay? And, and I mean, this little girl, she was like just blown away. I mean, like, I I just could, I mean, it it shocked me, you know? And, And I can just see, literally, 30 years from now, this precious little girl, no doubt, on her way to be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, I can see her interview It all started for me back when I was six years old, standing outside of a Publix, and I sold a man four boxes of Thin Mints. And I knew right then and there, I could sell anything. (laughs) She she had a wow moment, and uh, my son and I got the biggest kick out of that. You know, we've, we've been in a teaching series called Here Comes the Dreamer. And today I am so excited to show you a wow moment. I don't know if you've ever had like a wow moment in your life, a time when something's happened that you didn't expect, or maybe something happened that overwhelmed you in a positive way. But, but today we're, we're going to see a wow moment in the life of a guy that, that we've been looking at named Joseph. But, but up to this point in the story, in his life, we haven't seen really any wow moments, no wow moments that are any good anyway. 
We've seen a guy who's, who's endured incredible hardship. If you're just now joining us and, and, and maybe watching here for the first time, you know, like we've been tracking this guy named Joseph. He grew up in somewhat of a dysfunctional household. Like his father favored him because um, his father actually had children with four different women. And, and he had, he, he had his, his last wife, his second wife, two of the women he had children with weren't his wives. And he had one wife and a bunch of kids and he had his second wife and she was his favorite. And guys, I don't know how this works in your household, but coming through Valentine's Day last weekend, I, I doubt any of you ever said to your wife, hey, honey, I just want you to know, you are my favorite wife. <laughs> Jacob could actually say that on Valentine's Day. That's how messed up this guy was. And so, and so he had two sons with his favorite wife. And the oldest of those two sons was Joseph. And, um, and he favored Joseph. And he, like, he loved on Joseph in ways that he didn't love and care for his other sons. And so there was this like resentment, deep-seated resentment in, in the other brothers. And Joseph kind of grew up a spoiled brat, to be honest. And, and, and he has these dreams about how his, his family's gonna be bowing down to him one day. And he, he couldn't wait to tell his brothers. And so he does. And then his father never had Joseph, it seems, doing a lot of manual labor, but he would send him around as the youngest to check up on how all the olders were doing. I mean, you can imagine how that went. And so on one occasion, Jacob, Joseph's dad, sent him to a place called Dothan, which as we've said, it's like podunk in the middle of nowhere. And, and he's going to check up on his brothers and they, they see him like, oh, well, here comes the dreamer. And they've kind of had enough and, and they go overboard. I mean, this is kind of crazy what they do, but they take him and they strip this, this coat or this cloak off of him that his father had given him to bestow the fact that he was the favorite. And they take this off him, they throw him in an empty cistern and, and then they sit down and they have lunch. Okay, that's how much these brothers hated him. Imagine he's in the cistern. He's literally pleading for his life. And they're, and they're sitting there eating, listening to his cries for help and his pleas for mercy and not to kill him and to harm him. And, and so while they're eating lunch and they're listening to him just scream and beg for mercy, they, they decide through some form of negotiation, okay, let's not kill them, but let's, let's, let's just leave them or let's sell them. And there's a caravan that comes by and they, they, they take Joseph and they sell him as a slave to this caravan, this, this prominent son, now a slave, and he's taken to Egypt. But we saw in Egypt that the Lord was with Joseph. That's strange to us that, that the Lord would be with him in these kinds of circumstances because we would naturally think in our society, oh, if the Lord were with him, none of these things would have happened to him. But we're seeing that, no, God is always working in the lives of his children. And so God is with Joseph, even in these difficult circumstances, he becomes a servant in, a, in the house of a guy named Potiphar who was kind of like the, the military general for all of Egypt, a very prominent man. And Joseph rises to a place of prominence in his house and he's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and he's sent to prison and, and he's, he's there in prison. But guess what? There in prison, God is still with him, we are told. And Joseph's in prison for a while. Now the word prison there is kind of like a, a nice way of saying it. I mean, it's really more of a dungeon. When we think of prison, we think of, oh, okay, he's getting little breaks to run outside and play, or he's getting, he's getting a, you know, some decent food in the cafeteria kind of thing. No, 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 this is like a dungeon, okay? The Egyptians weren't known for taking care of their prisoners. 
And so Joseph's in a very dark place, literally, a very, very difficult place. And, 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 the, and the Bible says that he's there for a long time. And, 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 and while he's there in this prison, guess what? The Lord is with them and the prison warden, similar to what Potiphar did, begins to kind of lean into Joseph and, and he basically has Joseph running the dungeon. Joseph's kind of like a prisoner, but he's leading the other prisoners and caring for the other prisoners. And then one day after some period of time has passed, a significant period of time, there are two prisoners who come into the dungeon who are from Pharaoh's house because this just so happened to be the prison where all of Pharaoh's prisoners were also kept. So check this out. These two prisoners come in. It's the baker for Pharaoh and the cupbearer. And they come in and Joseph begins to kind of oversee them. And after some more time passes, Joseph notices one day, I love this. He notices one day that they, they seem to be a little bit extra anxious and worried. And so Joseph approaches them and he's like, hey, uh, what's wrong guys? I know you're a little down today, which is funny because they're in a dungeon. <laughs> like, aren't you down every day? But Joseph you know, was pretty astute. And, and he's like, hey, what's troubling you? And, and so check this out. So the, the cupbearer is like, man, I, I had this dream last night. It was very troubling to me. And tells him the dream. And Joseph's like, well, I can tell you what that means. Man, in, uh, in just a few days, Pharaoh's gonna have a birthday and, and um, he's gonna do what Egyptians did. He, he's going to Chuck E. Cheese, right? He's gonna have a big party and he's gonna have this party and, and, and he's actually gonna invite you to come back to the party and, and you're gonna be restored. And the baker says, well, that's funny. I also had a very, very powerful dream. And Joseph says, well, tell me. He tells him the dream and Joseph says, well, I can tell you what that means. Your head is also gonna be lifted up <laughs> off of your body. <laughs> I don't know, this dude's gonna be promoted and restored and you're gonna be killed. You won't survive it. And sure enough, three days pass and that's exactly what happened. And Joseph made one request of the cupbearer who survived. He says, when you get back into Pharaoh's house, would you just tell him about me? Would you let him know what I've done for you? Cupbearer's like, man, no problem. Three days pass, Cupbearer goes to the birthday party. He's, he's restored and check this out. He totally forgets Joseph. Are you ready for this? Two full years go by and the dude never mentions Joseph to Pharaoh. Do you understand? We're flipping through this story on a few pages and literally as we're turning the pages, years are going by. Two years go by. And I, mean, I can't imagine the frustration in Joseph. I mean, can you imagine those initial days? The cupbearer's restored and Joseph's like waiting for the call, waiting for the call, waiting for the call. All right, maybe couldn't get to it today. Next day, all right. And I mean, after a week, after a month, after a year, two full years pass, he's still in the dungeon. And then Pharaoh wakes up one morning, having had some dreams of his own. Troubled by them, deeply troubled, the cupbearer learns of this and he says to the Pharaoh, who by the way was viewed as a god by the Egyptians. He's the most powerful man on planet earth at the time. And the cupbearer, I'm sure, with some measure of fear and trepidation, is like, okay, hey, Mr. Pharaoh, sir, um, I heard you talking about your dreams. And do you, do you remember a couple years ago? You probably don't remember this. You probably don't, I wouldn't dwell on that. You sent me to 
the dungeon for a couple of days. It was just a misunderstanding. And, um, and, and while I was there, actually, I, I met a man. He was a Hebrew who told me about my dreams and they came to pass. Pharaoh says, we'll bring him in. Pharaoh now has the opportunity to meet Joseph and Joseph Pharaoh and Pharaoh tells Joseph his dreams and Joseph says, I can tell you what they mean. In fact, you know what? This is awesome what Joseph does. He says, actually, I can't tell you anything. It's, it's, it's fascinating if you look at it, Pharaoh tells him, hey, I've got these dreams and Joseph actually says, well, I can't help you, but my God can. Do you understand how bold that was for Joseph to stand before Pharaoh who was viewed as a God and say, the one true and living God can help you. But Pharaoh's kind of desperate. He says, okay. So he shares his dreams with Joseph. Joseph says, here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna have seven years where like, man, we're harvesting grain like we've never harvested before. So here's, here's, here's the deal. It's gonna be followed by seven years of such severe drought and famine. Okay, now I'm not talking about Chick-fil-A being closed on Sunday kind of famine. Okay, when I think of a famine, that's what I think of. Okay, I'm talking about like legit famines that people still have in the world today, famines, okay? And he says, it's gonna be so severe that people won't even remember the years of plenty. That's how bad it's gonna be. And he says, Mr. Pharaoh, sir, if I may be so bold, here's what you need to do. You need to store up so much grain during the, during, during the plenty that you can navigate the years of famine. And he says, you, you, you need, actually it's a fifth, 20% of all the grain that's harvested, you need to own personally, you own it. You bring it into your, 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 your possession. It's genius, absolutely genius. And everybody be coming in the seven years of famine, they'll be buying from you. Pharaoh's like, this is amazing. I I'm gonna need somebody to oversee this through the whole kingdom. This is a massive operation for the next seven years. And he says, I'll tell you what, I wanna have you do it. Clearly he says, God is with this man. And he promotes Joseph now, are you ready for this? To be the prime minister of Egypt. Pharaoh says to him, there will be no one more powerful than you except for me. And so Joseph spends the, 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 the next several years plotting out the strategy, the game plan, storing up grain, going through all of that. And sure enough, the famine hits and the famine is severe, but the famine doesn't just hit Egypt, of course, it hits to the north, the northeast there in, into a, the land of Canaan, where Jacob and his remaining sons, Joseph's father and brothers live. And in this time of severe famine, they run out of food. And that's, that's where we pick up the story today. Check this out, Genesis 42. When Jacob, remember the boys' father, heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, I love this, why are you standing around looking at each other? <laughs> Apparently some of these boys weren't the sharpest tools in the shed. Hey, what are y'all doing? Check this out. I've heard that there is grain in Egypt, which is an amazing thing that during the severe famine, somebody actually had grain available. And so he says, go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise we're gonna die. And so Joseph's 10 older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain. But Jacob, check this out, wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, his full brother, Benjamin, go with them for fear some harm might come to him. Just think about this, you guys. And with all of the passing of time, Jacob, Jacob has not gotten over the fact that he lost Joseph. And he says, I'm not losing Benjamin too. 
So here's what happens next. So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food. Everybody's going to Egypt nowadays. That's where Joseph is just genius. I mean, they're making money hand over fist because of his wisdom to store up during the times of plenty. And so the brothers get in line, okay? Because again, the family was in Canaan as well. And since Joseph was governor of all of Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. And when they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Which is interesting, is it not? That that's precisely what Joseph dreamt as a boy would happen. Now, maybe you're wondering, how is it that the brothers have come before Joseph and they're not able to recognize him? Well, the answer is simple. At this time in his life, Joseph was walking like an Egyptian. Come on. Ten years of seminary, and that's what it gets you, okay? That's why you go to school for this thing, folks. (laughs) Now, there's been a lot of time that's passed. Think about this, okay? Joseph was somewhere between 16 and 17 years old when his brothers sold him. He's now about 30. Again, we're flipping a few pages in the historical narrative. And as we are, years and years and years are passing. 13, 14 years have passed. Of course they don't recognize Joseph. And so here's what happened. Joseph, again, he's just so brilliant here. He, 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 his brothers come to him from Canaan. And he, he's like, oh, you guys are spies. And he knows better because he recognized them right away. They didn't look any different. A little bit of age, but he, he knew them. And, and so he puts them in prison for three days while he's figuring out his next step. And, and may I just show you after all of these years have transpired, how guilty their consciences still were over what they did to their brother. Check, check this out, speaking among themselves. Now they're in prison in Egypt. They're being accused of something that they know is not true. <laughs> Funny how the tables have turned. And they said, clearly we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. Man, isn't that something? They don't know that they just knelt before Joseph at all. They have no idea. But, but, but as they're in prison there and they're thinking, okay, man, we could, we could be in a lot of trouble here. What, 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 are they, what are they contemplating? Oh, you know what? I bet all of this trouble to us in the moment is because of what we did years ago. That was so much uh, an issue for them in the present. their consciences are so seared and so guilty and no doubt the consequences of what they did to Joseph, they they saw it in their father and his grief and they saw in the fact that I'm not even, I'm holding Benjamin close to me. No way I'm letting him travel with you to Egypt. And and you just, you get a sense here over the past 13 or 14 years, how the ramifications and the consequences of what they did to Joseph are still echoing. I mean, this this is crazy. And so Joseph you know, after three days, they get out of prison and he, he says, I'll tell you what, I'm gonna, he gives them all this grain. He gives them a ton of grain, months worth of grain for, for them to take home. And he says, but, and he, cause he's inquiring about their family, right? Cause he knows it's his brothers. And, 
And he's like, is, is this all of your family? Well, no, we have, he forces them to tell. We have one other brother, the youngest, who's still at home. And so I'll tell you what, one of you is gonna stay here as a prisoner in Egypt and you're gonna go back to Canaan. And um, if you wanna get this brother back, you need to bring the youngest here because Joseph wanted to see his younger brother. And you know what the genius of Joseph is here? Check this out. He's putting his brothers in the exact same situation they were in when they abandoned him years before. He keeps Simeon, one of the brothers, back. And you know what the, the other brothers had the opportunity to do? To basically abandon Simeon and just stay in Canaan. Isn't that interesting? Joseph is now testing their character. He's, he's gonna see if they've learned anything over the past 13 or 14 years. He's keeping Simeon with him, telling him, if you want to get this guy back, you've got to bring your youngest brother here because I want to meet your youngest brother. And, 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 and he's putting them in the exact same situation they were in when they left Joseph and that cistern and sold him as a slave. They can get out of, 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 of coming back. They can get out of, they just, they just go home and tell Jacob, hey, we lost Simeon. They can tell some story. And so they go home to Jacob and they say, father, Simeon was retained. They actually tell their father the truth this time. And they say, we've got to take Benjamin back to Egypt so that we can bring Simeon home. And um, may I show you Jacob's response here? Check this out. Jacob says, my son will not go down with you. His brother Joseph is dead and he is all I have left. Well, that's interesting because he had 10 other sons. And then he says this, if anything should happen to him on your journey, you would send this grieving white-haired man to his grave. We're gonna see some growth in the brothers. We're gonna see a lot of growth in Joseph. I'm not sure we see a ton in Jacob. It's kind of sad, isn't it? But you see here after 13 or 14 years, he's still not over what happened to Joseph. And now he's, he's relocated his identity from Joseph to Benjamin, and he's not gonna let anything happen to Benjamin. But here's what happened next, check this out. But the famine continues to ravage the land of Canaan. They got through with the grain that Joseph had sold to them for many months, but, but when the grain that they had bought from Egypt was almost gone, Jacob said to his sons, you're gonna have to go back and buy us a little more food. We're not gonna survive this. The famine is persisting longer than we thought. And Judah says, check this out, Judah, okay? One of the leaders here, one of the ringleaders for, for Joseph, by the way, for the selling of Joseph. He says, this man was serious when he warned us, you won't see my face again unless your youngest brother is with you. And if you send Benjamin with us, we will go down and we will buy more food. He's like, father, you gotta you got let us go with Benjamin. But if you don't let Benjamin go, we won't go either. Remember the man said, you won't see my face again unless your brother is with you. Jacob says this, why are you so cruel to me? Why did you tell him that you had another brother? And he says, well, the man kept asking us questions about our family. He asked, is your father still alive? And do you have another brother? And so we answered his questions. Again, Joseph knew it was them. And so he says, how could he, how could we know that he would say, bring your brother here? And so then Judah says this, send the boy with me. Check this out. Notice the change in Judah here. Send the boy with me and we will be on our way. Otherwise we will all die of starvation. And not only we, but you and the little ones. And I personally guarantee his safety. And you can hold me responsible. If I don't bring him back to you, let me bear the blame forever. And then he says to his father, if we hadn't wasted all this time, we could have gone and returned twice by now. <laughs> So you get a sense here 
that this conversation is happening probably over the course of like at least weeks, probably months. And so, and so Jacob relents because literally he has no choice. They're going to starve to death. I mean, they're all going to die or he takes the risk and he sends Benjamin with the brothers to get more grain. And so that's what, that's what happens. They go back to Egypt and um, they, they, they go back before Joseph. And um, again, Joseph's genius here is just on full display. They get back and they get the grain and, and, and Joseph says to his, his lead servant, he says, here's my personal silver cup that I used to, to drink from. He says, I want you to put this in the youngest bag and um, make sure nobody sees you. Put it in there. And then as, as, as they leave to go back to Canaan, I want you to stop them and see if they've stolen anything. And then... Um, when you discover this, this silver cup that you planted, then, then I want you to bring the youngest brother back to me. He sets him up. So they head out, they're stopped, they're searched. The brother's like, man, we, why, we, we, would, ne- we would never take anything. Like, what do you, like, we would never do anything. And he's like, all right, well, let me just double check your stuff. Searches all their bags, gets to the youngest. Sure enough, why would you steal this from Joseph? You need to go back. And um, Joseph retains Benjamin. And then Judah steps forward. And I just want you to see again the growth in Judah, okay? Because check this out. This is the guy who was the ringleader over lunch when Joseph was begging for mercy, who said, we're gonna sell the kid. And look at what Judah steps forward now. Remember the promise he made to his father? He says, he says this to Joseph. He says, now, my Lord, you don't understand. I cannot go back to my father without this boy. Our father's life is bound up in the boy's life. I mean, Judah's risking his own life here. Joseph is, I mean, the second most powerful man in the most powerful nation on earth. And he's like, sir, please, I beg of you. I can't go back without this boy. My father's life is bound up with his. And and there's a sense in which the brothers have just accepted now that, that the son, the remaining son of Rachel... Jacob's, their father's favorite wife, is, is the favorite. And they, 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 no doubt, they saw the devastation in their father when he learned that Joseph had died. At least he thought he had died. And now they're like, you know what? We can't ever let that happen again. That was a huge mistake. And so he's like, I, I, I can't let this journey home happen without this boy. He says, if he sees, my father sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. We, your servants, will indeed be responsible for sending that grieving white-haired man to his grave. He says, my Lord, I guarantee to my father that I would take care of the boy. I told him, if, you, if I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame forever. So he says, please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy and let the boy return to his bro- with his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see the anguish that this would cause my father. Judah, who so readily sacrificed Joseph, check this out, is now willing to sacrifice his own life. And he says, take me instead of him. Now, let me ask you something. Boy, do you think, do you think Jacob was devastated when those boys got home from from Podunk without Joseph. And he's like, man, we can't, that can't happen again. My father literally will not survive it. And so look at this, Joseph now, kind of his plots come full circle and, and he tested his brothers and they, they passed. 
And so it says here, Joseph could stand it no longer. And there were many people in the room. And he said to his attendants, out all of you. And so he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. And then he broke down and he wept. And he wept so loudly. Imagine all of these years that have passed and all of his hardship and difficulty. And here his brothers now are kneeling before him and he weeps and he weeps so loudly. Everyone could hear him and word of it quickly reached Pharaoh's palace. And he says to them, guys, I am Joseph. I want to know, is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless and they were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. They're like, wow. In the next verse in the King James Bible says, and they wetteth themselves. (laughs) Okay, not really. I totally made that up. (laughs) But, But... But here's the thing, man, they are like paralyzed because we've already seen their guilty consciences. And now without question, they're like, this is the end of us. Sure enough, this dreamer's dreams have come true. And I mean, he could have immediately have them impaled just like the baker was. They're speechless, you guys, speechless. Paralyzed, terrified now. But look at what happens next. Please, this is, this is a wow moment. Please come closer, he says to them. And so they came closer and he said, listen, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But then check this out. Here's your wow moment now. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. You see this famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. But God has sent me, God has sent me ahead of you and your families to keep you alive and to preserve many survivors. Look at this. So it was God who sent me here and not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. And so hurry back to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master of the land of Egypt. And so come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen. You can be near me with all of your children and your grandchildren your flocks and your herds and everything you own. And I will take care of you there for you are, there are still five years of famine ahead of us. Otherwise you, your household, all your animals will starve. So come on, I'm gonna take care of you. And I am just blown away by the growth in Joseph. Who's gone from a spoiled brat to a mature, wise, godly man. And if you're like me, you're wondering how in the world did Joseph through all of his horrific circumstances and sufferings get to a place where there his brothers are and he can enact revenge, but he doesn't. And and can I give you our key takeaway for today? Here's the reason. God uses the brokenness around us to fix the brokenness within us. God uses the brokenness around you to fix the brokenness 
within you. God could have gotten Joseph to Egypt in any number of ways. How did he do it? Through hardship and suffering. When Joseph was serving as a slave in Potiphar's house, what was he learning? That being a spoiled brat doesn't pay off. What was he learning? Man, even in my suffering, God is with me. When he was betrayed by Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison, what did he learn? God is still with me even in the prison. He's present with me in the prison. Promoted into Pharaoh's house through the interpretation of these dreams, what did he learn here for those years where he was waiting for the cupbearer to mention his name? He was learning and growing that God is with him and God is for him. And when he finally got to stand as the governor of Egypt, he could look back with perspective and see, yes, God was indeed at work. And God wasn't just at work to fix the external circumstances around Joseph. God was using all the brokenness and all the suffering and all the hardship to fix the internal brokenness inside of Joseph. You see, God was fixing Joseph through all of these series of events just as much as he was working through Joseph to save and spare his people. And so let me give you just two quick Takeaways tied to our, our main idea today that God's using in your life and mine through hardship and suffering in these seasons where we're wondering if he's there in these seasons where we, he, he seems silent. God's, God's using the brokenness around us to fix the brokenness within us. And, and, and here's one reason, I'm gonna give you one clear reason for this because our God values the internal sanctification of your soul more than the temporal alleviation of your circumstances. This is countercultural because we are conditioned and raised in our society to think that if God is truly with you, then you never get cast into the cistern and never sold as a slave and never betrayed by Potiphar's wife and never left in prison for two years by the cupbearer who forgets you. We're conditioned to think if God's really with you, then nothing bad happens to you. We're conditioned in our culture to think that our external circumstances are everything. And may I just remind you that your God is more concerned with what happens in your soul than what happens in your circumstances. And he's using your circumstances to grow and mature your soul because that is his greatest concern. This is a really important truth for us to learn and be reminded of that God was working on Joseph before he began to work through Joseph. And can I give you a word of encouragement this morning? You can rest assured God's gonna work on you before he works through you. You say, how's God gonna work on me? And how's God gonna work in me? I'll tell you how he's gonna do it through some seasons of difficulty and trial. There'll be seasons of blessing and encouragement, but, but you know what's true of life? We grow more in the strain and the stretching of suffering than we do the joy and the pleasures of everything going our way. 
And we have to be reminded today that God uses the brokenness around us to fix the brokenness within us. And even when it seems like our lives are falling apart, no, God is with us and he's working on us and he's working in us so that in the days to come, he can work through us. Let me give you a couple of scriptures here. James 1, check this out. This is why James says, this doesn't make sense to the American mindset. That's why we, we need to be, uh, you know, following stories like Joseph's story to see how God works through human history. Look at what James says. This doesn't make sense to us, but it's true. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Not, not the individual troubles themselves, but, but what they present to you in terms of your own growth and maturation. It's an opportunity for joy, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. And so let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Say, how do I get to a place in my life where I'm mature and complete? I'll tell you how you get there. You're gonna have to go through some seasons of trial and testing. God's gonna have to stretch your faith. God's gonna have to grow you and mature you. God's gonna use the external brokenness around you to fix the internal brokenness within you through the power of his spirit. And he's gonna work in you and on you before he works through you. And that's okay. First Peter 1, 6 and 7, check this out. Peter says, so be glad. There's a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials just for a little while. And these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire, tested and purifies gold. Through your faith, though your faith is more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. What is God doing? He's conforming you to the image of his son. He's preparing you for glory. It's okay when you find yourself in a time of suffering, a time of stretching. It's okay when you're going through a time where like Joseph, maybe you're, you're, you're asking for months or even years. Okay, God, are you there? Are you with me? It's okay. God, God is for you. God is with you and he's working in you and he's working on you so that he can eventually work through you because he values the internal sanctification of your soul more than just the temporal alleviation of your circumstances because that maturing of your soul will echo into eternity. Your circumstances will not. No, God is working and you're waiting. His silence is not his absence. He's present in the prison. All of these things we've seen, now we get to the wow moment. We'll look at Joseph. He's no longer the bratty little snotty kid. What a powerful contrast we see. Listen to me very carefully. Between the Joseph standing in front of his brothers as his dreams are fulfilled and the Joseph who stood in front of his brothers as his dreams were flaunted. Two different men. How did Joseph get from A to B? <laughs> Through hardship and suffering. God used those external circumstances around him to fix the internal brokenness within him. And we see God working in a powerful way. Listen, take it from me. When you work out, when you, when you hit the iron, I mean, as you can see that I do on a regular basis, in between those thin mints, baby. All right, you, <laughs> what happened? Okay, I have lifted weights from time to time. I'm trying to get to hundred pounds on my bench press. Okay, so when you, listen, what happens when you work out and you leave the gym feeling weaker? But you're not getting weaker, you're getting stronger. The straining of those muscles, the tearing of those muscles, no, no, you're getting stronger. It didn't feel like you're getting stronger. And you know what was happening to Joseph as he waited those two years in prison? You know what was happening to Joseph as he went 
to prison initially after being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. You know what happened to Joseph when he was serving as a slave in Potiphar's house? You know what happened to Joseph there? God was straining him and stretching him and preparing him for something great. He was getting stronger. He was, he was allowing the brokenness around Joseph to fix the brokenness within Joseph. And, and that's exactly what happened. And so we, we need to understand, listen, that God values the internal sanctification of your soul more than the external alleviation of your circumstance. And then lastly, listen, quickly, listen, God moves us from bitterness to forgiveness when we see and believe that he is always with us. So how do I get to a place today? Maybe it's gonna to be tomorrow. Maybe it's gonna be next week, next month. We're where we're facing a trial or a circumstance that's incredibly difficult, how can we get to a place where we're not bitter, where when it's required, we can show this kind of forgiveness and perspective. We can press on even when it's hard. How do we get to that place? Listen to me very, very carefully. You have to believe with all of your heart that God is with you because he is. Do you believe that today? He is. And you know why I believe we see this growth in Joseph? Because he started living like a man who knew that God was with him. That's what you see in him. That's what he says to his brothers. Fellas, I know you think I'm gonna enact revenge. We're gonna see next week as we wrap up this teaching series. They're still fearful that he's gonna take revenge on them. But he's like, hey, I get it. But let me tell you guys, it wasn't you that ultimately sent me here. It was God. How did he get there? Well, God was using the brokenness around him to fix the brokenness within him. And then as, as God through his spirit is fixing Joseph, Joseph comes to know and believe with all of his heart through all the ups and especially the downs, my God is with me. So I can forgive. I can turn the sins of my brothers over to God. I can turn the betrayal of Potiphar's wife over to God. I, I, I can turn the forgetfulness of the cupbearer over to God. My life is his. And I believe with all of my heart today that if you will believe with all of your heart that God is with you in all times, in all places, in all circumstances, it will radically change your life, your growth, your maturity because that's the most powerful truth in all the world to know. How do we know he's with us? Well, you know why? We know, because he sent his son to die for our sins, our brokenness. Jesus rose from the dead and he conquered sin in us and hell and eternal separation from God. He has freed us from our brokenness and our sin. And if you look to Jesus today, he will save you, forgive you, restore you. And you can know forever and ever and ever that God is with you. And if that's a decision you need to make today, I'm gonna to encourage you to reach out to us. You can just simply text Bell Shoals to 313131 and we'll follow with you confidentially and quickly and help you navigate whatever it is that you're facing. You have a prayer need today. You have a concern, a frustration. Maybe you feel that this weight of grief or frustration or exasperation. Listen, you're not the only one who's felt that way. All of our greatest heroes have gone through these seasons. And maybe today there's just an encouraging word that, hey, it's okay, God's with you. He's working in you. He's fixing what's in here. And as he's doing that, he's preparing you for something better. And if we can pray for you and encourage you, reach out to us. Bell Souls at 313131. 
We're here to help, to encourage, and to help you get from where you are to where you need to be. Because we believe here at Bell Shoals that our God is great and glorious, sovereign over all of our circumstances and always working in the lives of his people to fix what's in us (laughs) so that he can work powerfully through us.